you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to read uh, verses 11 through 22. Um, if you don't have a Bible, would you please lean forward, grab the one out of the back of the pew in front of you, and please follow along with us, with me as, we, as, we, as I read, lead us into reading this passage of Scripture. Additionally, um, I want to say that um, I hope that, again, that you guys are really connecting with these truths that we're uh, maybe rediscovering or discovering for the first time. Um, it, this, these truths that Paul is laying out in Ephesians is extremely critical for us to understand. I hope that if you've been in church for a while, you don't tune out. I hope you don't glaze over when you hear these, hear these passages of Scriptures because they're familiar. Because I think a lot of times we do, we do forget the true meaning of these. And it's easy to slide back, maybe not even into sinful behavior, although it is to do that too, but, but also to slide back into not really fully embracing the truths of the, of, of the passage of Scripture. I wonder how many of us, if we would really just stop and think and just spend intentional time, I wonder how many of us... Let, let, me, let, me, let me back out and start it this way. I was meeting with an individual this week. And we got to talking about some stuff and uh, doing some counseling. We got to talking about some stuff. And, and, and this whole approval thing kind of came up. And we started talking about it. And as we began to talk about it, there was this, there was this you know, kind of this thing where uh, earning the approval of the Father and, and, and things like that. And as we begin to talk about it and we begin to see how that really splashes over into other relationships and things like that, I asked the question, how do you view God? How do you view the Father? And truthfully, they answered and they said, I feel like I have to approve, you know, I have to do things to be approved. This is the truth that Paul is trying to help us to understand. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to earn the approval of God. Now, some will say, Whoa, hang on a second, wait a minute. What about, don't we have to live holy lives? Yes, that's part of it, but that. When it comes to God loving us, it is simply based upon grace. It's based upon the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I wonder how many of us right now are rubbing up against that and saying, mm, I don't know if I can... Mm, that's hard to grab a hold of. It is hard to grab a hold of. Because we live in a world with, when, when we place such conditions on everybody. Oh, you... Oh. You went outside the boundaries. Whoa, hang on a second. You didn't fulfill your obligation. Whoop, ha, mm, mm, mm. And so the next thing you know, we're struggling to get the approval of someone. We, you know, we struggle with these things, and, and it's like nothing's for free, right? We don't get anything for free. And so what happens is it's so easy for that to subtly blend over into our spiritual lives. And when we read passages like this, when we read Ephesians and Paul saying, you are saved by grace and grace alone. Well, don't I have to be good to earn that? Don't I have to do these things? Don't I have to do this, that? And it's hard for us to conceptualize that it is based upon the work of God, the work of Jesus Christ. I want, to sh I want to talk about that today, and the word reconciliation is going to come up, and that's what we're going to spend a few moments talking about. But in chapter 11 of Ephesians, or I'm sorry, chapter 2 of Ephesians, uh, verse 11, it says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done, by the which is done in the body by human hands, Remember, verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, 
without hope and without God in the world. Are you picking up the despair? Because, hey guys, let me, let me say this. If you're not Jewish, we're all Gentiles sitting in here. And Paul's saying at one time, you had absolutely no hope. No hope. You were born outside the covenant. You were born outside the promises. You were, born, you were not citizens, his words, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God. That's pretty, that's pretty despairing. That's pretty discouraging. But he goes on to say, But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For, verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile, there's the word, reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Verse 19, consequently... You are no, now here comes the hope, right? Once we were alienated, now listen to what happens. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together in Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. How many of you... I was born in uh, 1967. I didn't really... Yeah, it's old, isn't it? I really didn't live through the 60s per spa well, did, but I mean, I didn't really, you know, live through that er that era where I, I, I was aware of things going on around me. How many of you were teenagers or adults in the 1960s? And you guys aren't admitting it, are you? Some of you are back. Dan, raise your hand. I, that's right. There we go. What was going on in the 1960s? Vietnam War. What else? What is it? The flower people? Is that what you said? What else? A lot of hippies, flowers, Vietnam War. What else? Shout it out. I can't hear you. John Kennedy got shot, right? Assassinated. Not just shot, but assassinated. President uh, gets assassinated. What else? Civil rights. How many of you may not have been born, in, or may have been born in the 60s, maybe not have grown up in the, but how many of you at least read or seen any movies or or understand red history about the civil rights movement anybody i don't want to generalize anything i don't want to assume that you agree with me would you say hostility would be a word that we could throw in there could we when i think and i see movies when i read and you know uh, read various things that went on during that time have conversations with different people um uh, certain movies like mississippi burning and some things like that other movies i can't really recall but um such a disdain towards another race, right? In fact, you could really trace this clear back to the, you know, to the um, 
the Civil War, right? I mean, you could, you could trace all this back, and we have this history of black against white, per se. It goes beyond that. But, I mean, a lot of it was kind of, is that whole race thing. When you go into the Deep South nowadays, sometimes you can still see signs maybe posted on you know, old, old buildings and stuff where it have colored people use this door, white people this door. You ever seen pictures like that? And you, and you look at that, and you're like, that's odd. How could someone look at another human, another person that's been created in the image of God, how could someone look at another person like that and have such disdain, have such hostility, have such a sense of devaluing? At least that's what I think. And I look at that and I'm like, what hostility there was. And you look back and you read some of the things that was going on during the Vietnam, you know, the demonstrations and stuff like that, and then the civil rights movement and all these other things taking place in the 60s and the, and the various cities that, that had these huge demonstrations and all kinds of things kind of birthing out of that. Just a lot of political tension and unrest in America at that time. But, but the hostility towards another race, this goes, clear, this goes back. We even have this, and this is what Efe, uh, Paul's talking about here in Ephesians. He's talking about this dividing wall of hostility. And in this dividing wall of hostility, he defines two different individuals, the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and, and today I want to look at that. And, and, and on the back side, I want to look at the 21st century living over here. How does this affect us? When we talk about this whole concept of reconciliation, when we talk about this whole concept of hostility between two races uh, per se, but then it was like, you know, the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. And anybody that was not a Jew was considered a Gentile. So if you're not Jew, you would be a Gentile who was, like we read in the Scripture, as Paul states, you were separated, you were completely detached, you weren't part of, the, you weren't part of this whole plan of salvation. Um, and there was a very much, when you read through the Scriptures, there was very much an arrogant mindset that, that, that the Jews would just had this extreme disdain and hostility towards the Gentiles. Well, you're not one of the chosen ones. And so Paul, in this, this passage of Scripture, he begins to lay out these truths. And he begins to say when this whole concept of reconciliation got this huge blessing that God has lavished on, on, these, on, on the world, um, he, he's saying that, this, that you've been reconciled, that there's no, now, no longer this wall of hostility, this barrier. In fact, he would say uh, later on that they're engrafted into the, they're, they're, they've, been in the vine, they've been engrafted back into the root, into the vine. You know, there's no longer a separation. It is now one. And so when we read about that, you know, and we read about this whole word of reconciliation, and we kind of look at it and we say, ah, I don't know, that doesn't really connect with me right now. I'm kind of into other things or, you know, my thoughts, whatever. Let me, let me just say this, guys. If we truly understood the gravity of what total depravity means, that little word called reconciliation holds a lot of weight. If we would spend time just thinking for, for a few moments what those words mean, totally depraved, total depravity. Because when we read in Genesis and we read that when Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and he broke that relationship and fellowship with God, we read that it launched into this curse and that, that, we, were, that we were storing up wrath against God. Paul says in Romans that we were enemies with God. And we continued to be enemies of God. We were warring with God. And we were, you know, if you don't have uh, Jesus Christ in your life, you're actually storing up wrath against God. Some of you say, well, I'm not really storing up wrath. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're still living in that, in that relationship of being an enemy to God. 
And whether you're experiencing the wrath of God now, you will. Either when Jesus returns or you die. And so, if we look at that whole that, that concept of total depravity, what it really means is, as we are born into this world because Adam and Eve sinned, we inherit this curse of being enemies of God, of being separated from God. And we are so depraved, we are so broken, we are so out of whack, we are so messed up, we don't even have an inkling that there is a God and that we need to be saved. Does that make sense? You don't even have the ability to say, I'm messed up, would you please save me, God? You don't even have that ability. Because we're that depraved. God, out of His rich love, out of His unconditional love, out of this, out of this incredible love, God is love. That's who He is. Instead of leaving us in that position, call it provenient grace, call it an awakening, call it whatever you want to, God, out of His love, says, you don't have to live separated from Me. And He reaches down through His Son, Jesus Christ, through the plan of salvation, and extends a hand into our total depravity, where now, at some point, we have this we have this moment of clarity where we begin, where we see that, holy cow, I'm at odds with God right now. And the only way that I can avoid eternal separation, eternal damnation of God, is to reach up and grab this hand of grace and mercy that Jesus has extended to me. And when we do that, those of us that have done that out of faith, now we're saying... It's not by anything that I could ever do whatsoever, but it's based upon the work of Jesus Christ. I now can have a relationship with God, and at that moment, you are reconciled with God. That means you have been, you are now part of His family. He has reconciled you back to Himself. That word carries a lot of weight. A lot of weight when we understand that. Now, as we continue on with this word of reconciliation, Paul is saying, between the Jew and Gentile, because of the work of Jesus Christ, these two groups are no longer. You are now one. You've been reconciled together in Christ. You are now no longer a Jew. You're now no longer a Gentile. You are together. You are a Christian. It's like a marriage. We come together as separate. How many of you did a uh, Unity candle in your wedding ceremony. Something it's a it's a symbolic act where you have one or you have two candles that have both of them are lit and then you have one candle in the center that is not lit. And typically there's a time where you're saying you you take your flame the 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 girl takes her flame the guy takes his flame they both unite the one center candle and they blow out they extinguish their flames which is a symbolism that says we are what one. I'm no longer me, you're no longer you, we are one. And we're going to come together and be one. That's really kind of the same concept of reconciliation where you're coming together. Paul is saying that's what happened between Jews and Gentiles. Now, to the Gentiles, let me just paint this picture a little bit more. A Gentile was a non-Jew, anybody that wasn't a Jew. Uh, they were very, very much despised. Um, despised, I, I think, is a very light word to you. I don't know a word that would have deeper meaning, but they were very hated by the Jews. They were considered half-breeds. They weren't pure people. Their father wasn't Abraham. They were just people that were just people. In fact, they might have a they might have a um, uh, an attitude of well, the only reason God created Jew, uh, Gentiles was to use them for kindling for the for the fires of hell. 
to burn. I mean, that's how much they hated the Gentiles. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Remember that whole story that Jesus told and he said, who is the good neighbor? Who is the one that really loved? Remember the story, not just the story, but the, the, the event that took place where they were going through Samaria, the town of Samaria, and Jesus stopped in midday and had a conversation at the well with a Samaritan woman? That was so huge. Number one, they, Jews never went to Samaria. The only reason they went to Samaria was because Jesus said, something's going to happen here. This woman's going to meet Jesus. And the town ended up meeting Jesus. But Jesus went and he spent time that they would literally go around Samaria because they, the only way I can say it is they, they, were, they would consider them half-breeds. They weren't pure. They were, they were just these Gentiles that they hated and despised. So instead of going directly through the town to get to where they needed to go, they would literally walk miles out of the way because they despised them so much. And Jesus goes and he does two things. He talks to a woman, which it was a very male-centered um, culture, and it was a Samaritan woman. Huge huge issues with that and jesus teaches through that and jesus brought dignity and value to this woman samaritan woman paul saying you're now one you're no longer two you now are one so the gentiles were these people that were completely non-jewish then you have the jews the jews were the pure ones okay they're the ones that had father abraham they're the ones that had the covenant they're the ones that had the promises they're the ones that had the apostles and the prophets and all these other people they're the one that has this rich heritage and so they considered themselves extremely pure they were the chosen ones you weren't the chosen ones we're the chosen ones remember jesus having these discussions with the pharisees and everything and he's like he would come up against them and he, they would be like who are you you know who are you you know and he would go against their heritage just because they had the father their Abra they traced their lineage clear back to abraham they they they, they thought that was good enough and jesus was like that, that has nothing to do with it and so the jews were considered pure and paul says you know what all this is going away you are now through Jesus Christ, one new man. You're no longer Abraham. You're no longer these other individuals that you try to, try to get your identity from. But you now are in Jesus Christ, through Jesus, one new man. And it, not, and it did a couple things as, they, as Jesus' work on the cross did a couple things and He reconciled people back to Himself. But the first one is this. You and God are reconciled in Christ. You have been reconciled. This whole sense of depravity, we don't have to spend eternity separated from God. Now we are reconciled through Christ back to God. Such a huge truth. And then the next one is, you and others are reconciled in Jesus Christ. There's no longer us and them, them and they, and all these other alienating, demonizing people and all this other stuff. Paul's saying, you are now reconciled with others through Jesus Christ. Now, let me spend just a couple minutes talking about the 21st century implication of this. Paul says, you guys have been reconciled in Jesus Christ. You no longer have identity. Jews say, well, we got our family members back here. Don't we kind of do that sometimes? Don't we kind of tout and beat our chest sometimes over certain things and we look down at other people that's not like us? We look down at those people that root for the Buckeyes, Right? We, we look down at other people and we say, they're not as good as us. Our worldview becomes very small. And we say, well, they don't act like us. They don't dress like us. They don't think like us. And we begin to demonize them. We begin to devalue them. 
We don't breathe worth into them. We actually take it away from them. We say, that's not real. You know, they're not, that's the, the, well, those are those people. Jesus never, ever did that. Jesus never, and it's as if we're afraid that we're going to condone their, their bad behavior, so their sinful behavior, instead of looking at people and saying, this person was created in the image of God. And they may not have a relationship with God right now, but that's where it comes, it's so imperative for us to understand this whole concept of reconciliation, this whole concept that, that we are one in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about through salvation now. But that we are one and we, look, we can look at people and say they have value. Regardless if they're living a certain behavior, they still have value and God wants to reach that person so that they may not spend eternity separated from Him either. And we may beat our chest and say, well, you don't understand the family that I come from. You don't understand that our father was Father Abraham. God spoke to Father Abraham. You don't understand my family. You don't understand my dad. You don't understand the rich heritage and stock that I come from. We built this town. We built this church. We built this organization. We built this school. We did this. My grandfather built this bank. My dad did this. And we come riding in on the coattails of our lineage, right? Just like the Jews. Although when you look back to the Jews, Abraham was an adulterer. Abraham also gave Sarah his wife away a couple times so that he might not get killed. And Abraham kind of botched things up. In fact, we wouldn't even be talking about Gentiles if Abraham... And Sarah would have just trusted God and kind of uh, went with God's plan instead of Sarah saying, well, we're past our childbearing years. Why don't you take my handservant Hagar, sleep with her, have a child, that will work. And now we read about Ishmael, the, the, the child that was born from that relationship, and we realize that that's created havoc that still goes on today. Talk about hostility versus Isaac. You have Isaac and Ishmael. I wonder how many of us, if we would stop and kind of think, yeah, i got a couple closets in my family lineage that were horse thieves or bootleggers or, you know what? i got someone, i got a distant cousin that was involved in some of the race, racial issues or may still be involved in some of the racial issues, st stuff like that. We all have stuff. Because it's not based upon that. It's based upon the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has made us one. Every, we're, we're one. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that everyone's going to heaven without having a relationship with Him. That's not what I'm saying. Don't miss, don't miss what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that we can now look at people with dignity and value. And if someone's far away from God... God may be wanting us to be the ambassador, the witness to that individual, and to look at them in their God-created identity, to look at them to understand that they've been created in the image of God, to look at them to give them value and dignity, and, and to maybe have that relationship with them to say, hey, God loves you. God loves you through His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants to have a relationship with you. You see how that changes everything? And so this is a truth I hope we don't just yeah, I've heard this. Or, yeah, I can just move on. It's a truth. I think it would be, uh, it's worth sitting and entertaining and saying, you know what, this is powerful. This is so much bigger than what I make it to be at times. In fact, as I was reading, um, I was, this week I was, I was uh, involved in, a, in, a, in a, another devotion 
with some individuals, and we were reading Colossians. And as I began to read Colossians, I was reading it from my digital copy of the Bible on my iPad, and I got to reading it, and, and he's talking about, I never cease to give you thanks uh, or pray for you because of your love for Jesus and your love for, remember I was talking about that, your love for the church. And I'm like, I wonder if my digital thing got messed up on my, th-, you know, and I went in and I looked at Colossians, and I pulled up Ephesians, and I'm looking at him, I'm like, it, it almost mirrors themselves. There are a couple of things that he's saying in Colossians and Ephesians, and, and it just gives that credence that this thing is so much bigger than what we thought it was. He's writing to the church in Colossus to say, guys, you're part of God's family too. You are the saints as well. And so this morning, as we read this so many thousands of years later, we look at it and we read it and we understand none of this is based on us, none of it's based upon how uh, you know our works, and none of it's based upon us controlling anything because when we read that last part of the verses that we read today, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on what? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Paul's saying that we have the blessings of this reconciliation of the work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the cornerstone, and because of the work of the cross, Jesus is building this up, and as saints all over the place, regardless of what color you are, regardless of what sex you are, we God is building this church up, which is not a physical structure by any means, but it's this holy, living temple that's being built up, that we are made, that God, that Jesus keeps all together and joins together, and we're, we're, we're joining together as this holy temple bringing God this praise and this glory. So this morning I hope and pray that you spend time thinking about this blessing of being reconciled to God. That it's not just something that just, well, why wouldn't I deserve to be reconciled with God? That, that, that's very pompous and arrogant. This is an incredible blessing that God says, I love you so much. You don't deserve any of this, but I love you so much that I'm giving you this grace and I'm blessing you with it. And as we begin to discover that more and more and more, the shackles begin to fall off and we begin to realize God's a huge God. And I really don't have to do anything to control anything. I just get to enjoy being built up in God and bring Him His glory, His praise, because it's all about Him. And so as we continue on through this series, I pray that you would just lean into it, and, that, and especially as we close here this morning and the team comes and, and, we, and we're going to sing one last song, that it might be a time for you to respond to His Spirit if you haven't. Or maybe there's things within your life where His Spirit wants to come and say, hey, you're, not, you're not really not, you're not embracing this. I want, you're part of something so much bigger I want to help you understand. I want to give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And that comes through His Spirit. By the way, guys, I've said this before, but I want, to, I want you to really think about this. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was given as a seal of our salvation, but also to extend the, the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. 
It's crazy to think that some of us just, hey, I just got my ticket, so I'm just going to hang around until Jesus returns and do my thing. That is not what it's about whatsoever. God's saying, this is my gift to you, and it's an, ex- it's, it's an extenuation of the ministry that, that Jesus has started here on earth. So now we become what? Ministers of this whole concept of reconciliation, as he writes in Corinthians. We become ambassadors. We become witnesses to share the love of Christ, to share what God has done, these truths and blessings that God is doing in and through us. So I pray that as we close here that you would just allow the Spirit to connect with yours and respond the way He wants you to respond. Maybe He wants you to come and pray or spend time talking about this with someone so that you have more clarity and you can live these truths out. I don't know what that is, but the most important thing is that that you respond with a humble, contrite heart to God and His Spirit. So would you stand and let me close my time with a word of prayer and then we're going to close with uh, another song. Father, we give you... Words can't describe what we need to do right now. The only thing we can do right now is an activity called worship and that literally means to just fall down before you. There's no other response that we can actually do but to just, as, as we look at these truths, as we look at these blessings that you so freely give us, God, the only proper response is to just fall before you and to exalt you and to glorify you. And so this morning, I pray that you would just, through the power of your Spirit, God, would you just arrest and captivate our hearts if they're not already. God, would you help us to become mindful of the things that you have blessed us with so and un- the understanding of of growing up into this holy temple that you've ordained, that you've put into existence. God, may we become those people that are just lifting you up and understanding that it's not about us, but it's all about you. And may our lives bring you glory. God, I pray right now through this time, this these last moments here together, would you please use it to bring yourself glory? God, would you please nudge us through your Spirit? God, call us out. Encourage us. Convict us. But God, most importantly, would you please help us to respond the way that you want us to respond? May we be faithful and respond in loving obedience. Father, we ask all of this through the powerful name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name. Amen.